players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Brainstorm, Swords to Plowshares, Life from the Loam, and many others. Battling head-to-head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bashanral on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 45 of the Eternal Glory Podcast. Rover powered. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined as always by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. Don't worry, it only took us three or four tries to shoot this intro. We're doing great. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm a little more awake than Phil is tonight. Uh, Brian, how are you hanging in there? I'm okay, but Phil stole my joke. I was going to say fourth time is the charm, and he fucking ruined it. It's okay. This is a uh, a media where we don't record live, really. So they would have never known we did any extra takes if we didn't talk about it. Yeah, you got to give him some humor, though. Phil's just hammered. Like, <laughs> so so much alcohol. Yeah, I heard he was out in his backyard firing a gun into the air last night at 1230 in the morning. It's not quite what happened, but we'll let the viewers wonder what actually happened. I really like the idea of just Phil outside with a gun just shooting into the air like some cowboy. Like Yosemite Sam. Pew, 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 pew. All right. They were walking ballistas all along. All right. So uh, on my end, other than being like very tired to the point of like maybe delirium, I'm I'm doing okay. Uh, been playing a lot of Diablo 3 with a girlfriend. And oddly enough, um, this game is better on the couch on my Switch than it is on the PC, which is not something I expected. But the ability to just like have five minutes to kill, boot up the game, kill a little bit of stuff, put it down. It's just super cool. And I've been enjoying the hell out of that. That sounds great. Otherwise, I'm I'm sitting here uh, ticking down the days to spring break. Teaching is uh, is tiring right now. And a lot of things have almost happened. We almost went back to five days a week. And then we didn't. We almost made a lot of different plans, and then they didn't quite go through. We're transitioning to a new building, so like, there's all sorts of technological errors and AC things that aren't quite figured out yet. So, Phil, you work like 23 days a year. Can't be that bad. <laughs> that is that is the meme. Uh, but, uh, you know. Most of you know no teachers or are chatting with teachers. Like you, you've you've heard the struggle right now. Um, but none of them. I'm looking forward to getting a week off that I will probably like spend filming a bajillion D magic videos because you know when I see free time, I go like, "Ooh, I can record." That's a healthy relationship with content creation. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 good. I I mean, I, we're all good with where we're at with content creation. Inject those donation decks straight into my veins. Oh yeah, Brian, you're you're doing those now. I, I guess we can kind of go out of order here, unless you would just want to talk about it later. 
I know. I mean, we could talk about it. Let's go in order. Let's keep the structure. All right. Bryant, what have you been up to? Well, uh, unlike you two, I have still not been vaccinated. So we're getting requests from friends going like, hey, do you want to have like a vaccinated hangout? Uh, my significant other, she got vaccinated. I'm still over here just like waiting for it to become open. Like I, New York State, I guess if you're 40 or older now, you can go get it. But just like, I just want my shot already. Uh, I know it's a little rude to say or whatever, but like, I want to hang out with people too. I see like some people doing it and whatnot. I want to be a part of the party. Well, for for some context, uh, a number of my teacher colleagues have not gotten the shot yet. And they're face to face with kids every day of the week. So <laughs> slow your roll, Mr. I want to have a barbecue. You know how good grilled meats are, Brian? I do. Yes. And I can't wait to have a vaccinated party with my friends and you can't come. I got to play Super Smash Brothers with someone the other day. That was huge. Like, I hadn't hung out with another human other than my girlfriend in a year. And, like, I have a vaccinated friend who was like, hey, do you want to play some video games? And I was like, yes. Yes, please. I have to remember how to socialize. The weather's been beautiful the last week. Like, and beautiful in Syracuse means, like, 65, but... 65 feels amazing like i am ready for winter to be over we had a few days that were cold after but you know the last day or so has been back up to 65 oh i am not i do not complain about cold temperatures just as a rule in my life because i i know how much i hate hot temperatures and we're in that time of year in the northeast in pittsburgh where you leave the house and it's like 29 degrees then you leave work and it's 75 and it's impossible to dress for both and I generally just leave work and immediately get into my hot, sticky car. And I'm like still in like jeans and a long sleeve shirt from the morning. And I'm just like, fuck all of this. I hate the sun so much. I need to honestly move back to my ancestral homeland of Ireland where there is no (laughs) sun and it's cooler. And if I could go even farther north, like maybe I just belong in Alaska. I don't know. But I, I hate the sun. I hate the heat. I would take winter all year round. So uh, this is kind of off topic, but I rewatched, or I guess I shouldn't say rewatch. I watched the uh, Snyder cut and I never realized that Aquaman was supposed to be Icelandic. Like the first time I saw it years ago. I don't know. Like if that was supposed to be like a well-known thing. I yeah. didn't know it. Uh, uh, yeah. I guess in the Aquaman movie, you do see him in this like uh, fishing village and growing up and shit. With his adoptive family, I think. I saw that once and barely remember it, but I think that did happen. I don't know if they specifically said he's from Iceland. Uh, But I am excited to watch the Snyder Cut. I'm not going to lie. Like, I was going to watch it just for the memes. Like, what, like five, six years in the making of the internet going crazy and then this stupid thing actually happening. I was going to watch it no matter how bad it was. But I've heard it's reasonable. I liked it. Yeah, like... One of my friends, uh, the the film critic who I've mentioned a few times, Brandon, he has been posting nonstop memes about like uh, giving up on the MCU because the Snyder Cut is where his superhero movies belong. And I'm not sure how much of that is tongue in cheek or real, and, but like he's excited about it and he's not shy about telling you when movies are bad. So uh, I have plans to watch that this Saturday. Uh, I warned my girlfriend that I want to sit and watch a four-hour superhero movie, and she was like, oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to watch it last weekend, and I was like, 
do you want to watch this tonight? And she's like, no, I need time to prepare myself for a four hour superhero movie. It's like, okay, then we're doing it next weekend. I don't think I could do it in theaters. Like I just would need to use the bathroom too many times. Like four hours is a really, really long movie. Yeah. I mean, I watched Lord of the Rings and I've been binge watched more than four hours worth of television at a time. Like when Netflix just lets it roll and you've watched an entire season of something in a day. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, my last bullet's pretty short. Uh, I am just really, really excited for my fantasy baseball draft tomorrow. Uh, I know that the two of you aren't huge sports ballers, but I've been looking forward to this for months. Fantasy baseball, I am just as passionate about as I am magic. And uh, it's like Christmas. Are you going to just draft the New York Mets? The entire team. (laughs) (laughs) There was an episode of the Bernie Mac show. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched that, but that was prime right after school viewing for me. And there was an episode where his nephew tries to get him into fantasy baseball and he's just like, we're going to draft the Cubs. (laughs) And his nephew's like, that's not how it works. He's like, they're the best team. We're drafting the Cubs. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Brian, how about on your end? Uh, I am also pretty uh, just gashed from work right now. Um, I've been working on something for about seven months now that I can't talk about publicly yet. But I should be able to give all the, the details next episode. But uh, we, we are reaching the crescendo of a project I've been that's been a slow burn since the school year started. And it's taking a lot of time and energy and emotional energy. And uh, that, that is what I've been focused on lately. Um, in further draining news, uh, we booked an out-of-town wedding for May. My cousin's getting married in Nashville. And I guess we're going like a girlfriend and I are both vaccinated and this wedding is happening, uh, rain or shine. So, uh, we were talking about it and the girlfriend was just like, I want to go anywhere for any reason we're doing it. So, uh, we're doing it and I'm already like not super sold that it's a good idea. And then she's talking about like booking a beach vacation in July also, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm not ready for this. And I'm just thinking about like the uh, the drama we're all gonna have as we reemerge into society and like feel guilty like we shouldn't be in a group and everything. And it's gonna be a serious adjustment. And I'm starting to run into that myself right now. And yeah, it's weird. Uh, I actually went to a wedding two weekends ago in town. Uh, we just went to the service, not the reception. Everyone was distanced and had masks on. But it was the most people I'd been around in a year, and I did not like it. I mean, I, I don't like weddings anyway, and it was a service of a particular Christian denomination that are known for taking a long time to do anything. And the the uh, official uh, priest, I guess he is in that denomination, uh, he was probably 129 years old and kept making these dated references to like, in a marriage, it is important to forgive each other, such as if he arrives late for dinner, or if she is late getting dinner to the table. And I was just like, oh my god, I need to get out of here. <laughs> and like, I just wanted to die. And I couldn't believe that like the bride and groom were still smiling during all of that. It's like, you're all trash. But 
Uh, that was not a good time for me. <laughs> so one, you're going to Nashville. You can honky tonk. You can uh, go square dancing, a bunch of ridiculous stuff. You're able to do that, Brian. You're allowed to. You don't have to enjoy it. So I've been to Nashville once before. It was for Grand Prix Nashville, the one where the playmat was Elvish Presley. Oh, that's strong. (laughs) Yeah, it was actually a pretty dope playmat. And I think I judged that event. And I remember going out to the judge dinner on Saturday night. There was probably about 25 people in our dinner party. I sat at the judge table, realized I didn't like anyone I was sitting with, and then left. (laughs) I just got up and left. Uh, It was before the food arrived. And I just like went somewhere else and ate by myself because I hated the entire experience. Like, I don't like large groups. I don't like loud country music it it was like not a great experience but it's not nashville's fault it was definitely just me realizing i was not happy with my situation also you going to the beach i just imagine it's like the scene in scrubs where ted walks out into the sun gets immediately burned and turns around with you hating the heat like i imagine that's what's going to happen to you on this vacation so uh this is a true story uh we have been to the beach twice now uh this is our fourth summer dating she loves the beach we skipped it last year because we went to europe and uh, that was our big vacation for the year and uh, the first year that's exactly what happened i just like was miserable crispified couldn't spend a lot of time out there the second year i bought one of those baby tents that you can just like pitch on the beach and hide from the sun inside and we got there. I started setting it up and I was told by a lifeguard, you can't have tents on this beach. So, and I was like, well, I can't be on this beach without a tent. What are we going to do about this? And he was like, if you walk down the beach, like count down the lifeguard stations, uh, like we're at like number seven right now. And then like, if you go six, five, four, three, two, one, there's a stretch of land between this beach and the next beach where anything goes. <laughs> Be, like it, it, it's not. It, it, it's it, it was Rehoboth Beach uh, in Delaware, and in between Rehoboth Beach and Dewey Beach, which is like you can see it. It's not that far, but there is a strip of coast that is unregulated. There's no lifeguards. There's no rules. It's just like in front of people's fancy houses, and I, I was like, well, off we go. And I thought we were just gonna be like alone and dead on this desolate beach, but we got down there. And it was like Fire Island. It turns out that's where the gays congregate. And it was amazing because everyone was having a good time. There was great music. There were dogs. There were no kids. And there was like a food truck that pulled out onto the beach because they could do that because there were no rules. And people had like flo- giant floaties. There was a giant floaty unicorn that fit, fit like 10 dudes on it. And they had a boom box like out on the floaty unicorn floating around in the water and it was the best beach experience I've ever had. Uh, and it was it, it was really great. And I'm actually excited to go back there if I can bring my baby tent and hang out on Fire Island in between the two beaches. <laughs> and podcast over. We're, we're not getting higher than that. Like, that's the pinnacle right there. Uh, so I can actually add more to the story. This intro is getting long, but I promise this will be worth it. So uh, my girlfriend and I came out of the water when we were on this trip. We were in like uh, that part of the beach and we're like walking back up to the towel and this like visibly intoxicated, like 40 something guy like stumbles over to our blanket and 
his the man he's with, who we later learned is his husband, was like more sober than him and like okay he was like trying to like stop stop come back stop no don't <laughs> like trying to like rein in his drunk husband and the guy like comes over to me and he, he's like oh my god sweetie is that your girlfriend and i was like yes and he's like watch out for her she is gorgeous oh my god and i'm like beaming i'm like hell yeah and then he's like so you must be like super smart or something ah <laughs> And I just melted into the ground. I could have buried myself in sand. It's like, ouch. <laughs> so that that was the uh, the sassy burn I got on the beach. That was worse than any sunburn that summer. Strong. <laughs> All right. Um, let's transition into donations. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to say. Um. We we had a little bit of a drought as far as donations went, and then we got probably the biggest string of donations this podcast has uh, ever received. So, I, I can read the list. Right. Take a nap. Go for it. All right. So, Greg LaDuke, Stin Van Dongen, Andrew Smith, Richard Fisher, Rudy Summer, Dr. Anonymous, Benjamin Salzberg, Rayan Dazani, Timothy Everett, Christoph Wagner, Spencer Burke, Dan... Peterson, Thomas Scanlon, Eli Moe, that's how I pronounce that? I, I think so. M-E-A-U-X, so. Moe? Yeah, Eli Moe, Zachary Vanderzee, Chris Reinhardt, Matthew Hackbird, Eliana Rabinowitz, Tony Scaponi, Nathan R. Lawrence, Bradley Cook, Joel Herrick, Colin Flynn, Bill Schlichting, Stefan Susselbeck, and Skullclamp MTG. Um... <laughs> You can tell from the size of the list that we we got a lot of love. So so thank you to that. You you all came in uh, clutch right after we had paid for our our hosting for the year. We really appreciate that. Um, you know, if you come in clutch when we ask for it like this, we can maybe uh, step back on asking from the for the donations every episode. Thank you, community. It means a lot. And if you have disposable income, you're looking to you know throw around right now. We all do donation deck lists. There's great charities out there you can look into. But we as a podcast. We're sitting pretty for a while. Our our our, our editor, Force of Phil, and thanks by the way. Uh, we're 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 gonna keep him, you know, happy and uh, eating sushi or whatever great thing he treats himself to after uh, going and editing our podcast. I don't I don't know what he does. Buys awesome janky cards, probably that. Phil really really likes white chocolate. <laughs> so he's probably just gonna buy a lot of white chocolate. Wow, I might do that anyway. I love white chocolate. All right. Is that also Phil's rap name? What it do? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to MDG updates. Um, on my end, like the YouTube stuff has been great. Uh, I guess I have two videos of notes from this week. Um, I released a building a better legacy community video talking about some of the issues that have been going on um, in various places right now, you know be it the the racism or the sexism that we've seen pop up recently unfortunately and what we can do to actually combat some of that and on a lighter note uh i'll be recording this tomorrow night so it'll be out for you all when you get this podcast i'm recording a league with hidden gibbons i am my condolences i am recording a a, a deck list that one of my fans dubbed 800 pound delver which has four of hidden gibbons main deck which is uh, going to be fun. It's an enchantment that turns into a 4-4 if your opponent casts an instant. 
So it'll be it'll be one mana, special. right? One mana green enchantment. One one mana green enchantment. Yep. But Phil, how will we know where the gibbons are? They'll be lurking. It'll be some crouching tiger hidden gibbons shit. I, is there a skulking tiger in the deck? People tried that in like two thousand eight. Like two thousand eight, like when Rugdelver mirrors were the thing. When you were like, "Oh, Nibble Mongoose, Werebear," uh, people back then were trying hidden gibbons, and it didn't work then. Yeah, Canadian threshold back in the day, and that was before we had Delver. So, <laughs> good luck gibboning people. Uh, hey, all I need to do is get a couple of wins with hidden gibbons and take screenshots, and we're good. Oh yeah, I know how Twitter works. <laughs> well, fortunately, I mean, if you can do it, a few of my donation decks recently haven't even had wins, so I wasn't able to do that. Yeah, that that happens. And like part of that experience is going like, okay, realistically, here's what worked, here's what didn't work, you know, some of the losses are probably my fault, some of them aren't. Here's the things you can do to improve. And that feedback is super useful, even like to the donors, even when like you don't get the W's. The 5-0 leagues feel great, but they don't happen nearly as frequently with the donation necklists. Yeah, I genuinely love the the tuning process. Like when I get a deck that's just a mess, uh, like uh, today as of recording, so earlier this week as of listening, uh, I released Five Color Advisor Tribal on my channel and that was a list that was sent to me and it was just like here's some fucking advisors good luck but i tuned it up to be a coherent main deck and i built the deck so there were enough human advisors that i could board out the non-human advisors and board into humans and keep the five color tribal mana base and i felt really fucking smart for figuring that out and i'm so proud of that even if the video is goofy but like those moments, those like small heroic moments in deck building that would never happen if someone didn't send you some trash. Like I, I really enjoy that. And I hope people who watch the deck tech part of the video see that and learn something from it too. Nice. So uh, I think I mentioned this in the last episode. I've just been on the longest cold streak. I cannot win at magic in any format at the moment. Uh, I don't even think I'm particularly playing awful. It's just like, I don't know. Like, I'm just not hitting breaks, it feels like, and I'm making good decisions. I've had other people watch some of my matches just to see if I'm, like, doing anything wrong. I'm like, no, just, you're losing. Get over it. Uh, So I've been shooting a lot more. I think I've played 150 Legacy matches since our last episode, all recorded in my data tracking. And uh, I'm just 52, 56%, and I'm not happy with that as a win percentage. So I'm experimenting a little bit more at the moment. Good. I mean... If you keep playing the same list with no changes, like nothing changes, right? Like get in there, find the tech. Yeah. I'm really, really looking forward to Weatherbloom Command. Uh I think that card is gonna be terrific in the Epic Storm. What's that one do? You can't just say the name of a spoiler card. Oh, it is a sorcery, it is a green and a black. Uh it is one of the commands, so it's pick two. The first mode is target player mills three, you can return a land from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, the last mode is target player loses two, you gain two. And then the middle two are the ones that I like. It's exile a non-land permanent with converted mana cost one or less, and target creature gets minus two, minus one, I believe. Oh, get the deafening silence and the Thalia. Exactly. Gross. All right. Do you want to talk about this card for a minute? Because I have questions about it. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So 
uh, I, I did the through the looking glass article uh, for for your website recently. And one of the things that I that I said when asked about that card was, I don't know how you play with that card. Like, are you going to board this card in? Is this a burning wish target? Like, is it both? I, like, what are you thinking about for that? That's the big thing. So I, I haven't even made a video about this yet, but I've been playing a list with numerous Thoughtseize in the board. At first I was trying four and now I'm down to three, but basically you board them in against death and taxes to hit deafening silence or Thalia before they come down because discarding them before they come down saves you time. So that way you're not wasting a turn uh, answering them and then having to untap and win. You don't get snowballed as easily. Right. So Right now, I don't have the slots to do the multiple Witherbloom command thing, but I'm thinking that maybe when it comes out, I can just run three of them in the board, board in two, leave one in the board, and then the snowball effect doesn't matter as much if I can two for one cleanup. Uh, I don't, I haven't tested it all yet, but that's my initial thought. I think the card's going to be bananas. I'm also wondering if, like, do I really need two abrupt decay and then Witherbloom commands? Can I do like one decay and then? extra weather blooms i'm not sure yeah i i find the design the the deck design space there very interesting because like it's obvious that 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 card is going to be good like that you are going to want to play that card but like you're dealing with a tutorable card that you would also very very happily like to draw early on in the game and taking a turn to burning wish and then cast that card like if that's your turn you allow your opponent to like untap play more stuff and it's a huge ask to go like burning wish wither bloom command and then go off from there as well like that's so many resources um i'm i'm very interested to see how that gameplay changes for some of the like chalice and death and taxes style matchups so some of you might be listening going like, yeah, this card seems like a slam dunk, like cut abrupt decay. Well, I said it's converted mana cost one or less. So things like Aethersworn Canonist, Gaddic Teague, uh, those live through the minus two, minus one and have a converted mana cost of greater than one. Quactor Oof, fuck that card. Uh, <laughs> but like you're going to have to make concessions in some areas and then like maybe a 2-2 split is right. I'm not sure. Like I'm going to have to figure that stuff out. But uh, I've just been like trying different things. I played a silence list uh, that's probably going to go live tomorrow where my only match win was against somebody running a bunch of mind break traps because I was just like silence you kill you silence you kill you. Uh, and then the entire rest of the, the league I was just like oh, this card would be so much better as Veil vale of Summer. All right. Anyone else have anything they want us? Well wait Brian have you done this section yet? I haven't even He's done not. this section. <laughs> Nobody cares. Just Brian, tell us about your your tube you. Okay, wow, that was that was weird for no reason. So, uh, it, it's been a pretty good month. Uh, I broke five hundred thousand total views. I broke four thousand subs, and this Friday, which I think is usually when this podcast comes out, is video number two hundred and fifty on my channel. And I wish I had planned better to do something special. I actually released Battle of Wits last week, and that would have been a perfect 250th video because you play 250 cards in that deck. But I blew it, so it's just a normal video. But it is number 250, and that feels like a pretty sweet milestone. Um, and I have another week already booked on top of that. So just the the gears keep turning. Uh, 
my Patreon is doing well. Like I know that you guys don't run Patreons and we've been asked to do it for the the podcast too and we just don't want to deal with it, but I put one together at the beginning of COVID and a couple months ago really like cleaned up my tiers and benefits and stuff and it's actually doing really great. I'm actually almost at my cap of my middle tier, which is the donation deck tier. I had to cap it because I was worried about running out of days of the month and just like being pre-booked every month because I just have like 22 people who have a monthly donation list. So I had to cap that and I'm just about there. And the the last thing that I'm dealing with right now is Time Spiral Remastered, which we talked about last time that I pre-ordered like a lot of stuff and I got it all. Like I have my sweet boomer frame cards and I got my two boxes I pre-ordered and I'm doing everything fighting with every ounce of my soul, not to just shred those packs. Like it's such a good draft format. I don't need any cards from time spiral. I drafted the shit out of time spiral. The first time I still have my Tarmogoyfs and Vencers and Vesuvas and damnations and everything from when they were standard legal. So uh, I have no reason to open these packs, but Oh, I want to. So uh, I am trying to get, round up seven vaccinated friends and draft these things ASAP. So I'm someone that's not super interested in this product. That said, I am following the market for Japanese cards on it just because, you know, it's fun. The first ponder that was cracked and posted uh, was posted for $750, which is more than a Japanese foil lore one uh, ponder. And it has still not sold. The asking price has not dropped. Uh, not many else have even been added to the market yet, so I'm not sure how much of this product even exists. So maybe 750 is like reasonable. That said, uh, how are you? or however you want to pronounce it, I can never do it correctly. Uh, they posted a few thoughtsies at 900, which I actually felt like was low. And then someone was like, "Well, technically, you have the same odds of opening a thoughtsies as you do, I don't know, someone common." Yeah, but like there's a pretty big difference between thought season, some in common. And that said, there's still like price memory on the old cards, like a Japanese foil lore when thought sees is $1,200. So why is the ponder worth more, but the thought sees worth less? Like, I don't think people are just making up prices. Yeah. I mean, everyone is just making shit up. Um, when I did my pre-orders, I was trying to get foils too. Like the only foils I want, uh, f- there are four foil cards from my Corvold commander deck that exist on this, time shifted sheet and star city didn't even have foil pre-orders posted they didn't even try to guess how many of these they were going to have i think ben blyweiss actually tweeted that they weren't going to do it because of the supply and the print run and like even with all their experience and expertise in doing exactly that they couldn't figure out good pre-order numbers and the only place i found that was doing pre-order foils was they listed one of each and they were all like $100 for an a like medium desirable card and $150 for like a desirable card. And I didn't look at Ponder or Thoughtseize. I was looking at you know, Yogg Thran Physician. And that like placeholder price, I was like, I don't know, maybe that's good on Yogg but I think it's bad on Zulaport Cutthroat. And like now Zulaport Cutthroat is like 50, Beast Within is I think 70, Yogg Moth is 350. So it's all, what? it's insane. Like it's, I, I've seen some posts where people are talking about like uh foil time shifted cards from this set have a lower print run than alpha rares. Good I God. heard something about that. 
Yeah, so, like, if true, and if they end up desirable, like, these things could just be, like, masterpieces or expeditions. We should we should probably treat them as such, at least for the foil copies. Like, they're, they're very special. Here's the difference, though. There's nothing stopping Wizards from just printing Times for Hour Remastered into the dirt. And they probably should. Like, the way that it's selling, just print more of it. So, they said that they underestimated the demand and they have no plans to print more so like what that means like have no plans does that mean they're gonna make some plans can they just boot up the presses i don't actually know how that works like do they need does it take months to just run a new line or can they just turn the machines back on and what are the ramifications of doing that like i don't actually know but I do watch Tolarian Community College, his like, is it worth it to buy blank videos every time a new product comes out? And uh, he was under the impression that there would not be more Time Spiral. Like, it's done. I have a suggestion that's going to sound a little bit snarky, and you can take it that way if you want. Maybe don't make a secret layer this month. Maybe just print more Time Spiral Remastered. Maybe. Or they could do secret layer all of the foil time shifted cards. Exactly. I'd buy the shit out of that. I mean, I wouldn't buy it, but I think it would be great. All right. Should we uh, get like the real meaty content started? Because otherwise, like we're going to start talking about like hot teacher Liliana and then like who knows where we're going into like weird flavor town. Can we we talk about chain of smog real quick? I I know Phil actively is trying to avoid this. So, uh. Professor Onyx, aka Hot Teacher Liliana, apparently, um, she has a. Stat- oh, I just, I just assume that we're just a day or two away from people going like all like Resident Evil tall lady step on me sorts of things with that. Black I, Liliana. I have already seen like uh, Hot for Teacher and like Teacher's Pet kind of jokes on Twitter. Like we're we're not a day away; we're a day behind, <laughs> and it was only okay. spoiled yesterday. But so. This six mana Liliana, I don't know what the loyalty abilities are, but it has the static ability. That's whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery, drain your opponent for two life. And Chain of Smog is a black and one sorcery. Target player discards two cards. They may copy this spell and choose new targets. So you just target yourself and copy it infinitely and drain your opponents for infinite. Uh, So there's this like eight mana two card combo, which is like, not going to break legacy. Don't worry, people. If you're casting a six mana planeswalker that requires a second shitty card to resolve, don't worry about it. That's not like we, show and tell is legal. You don't have to do that. But that's definitely something you could just sneak into your commander deck. Uh, so Chain of Smog went from bulk uncommon to like $20 or more overnight. The number of people that have messaged me is more than it should be like is this tes playable <laughs> and my immediate thought is like what makes you think the six mana planeswalker is going to slide into a storm deck uh i don't know that on top of like if you're playing a six mana card it needs to win the game like this needs a second card in order to win like if they unban bargain i probably wouldn't play it like ad nauseum is better than bargain i'm not playing that yeah, and you got a uh, peer into darkness or whatever it's called peer into the abyss what is that card you got it the second time peer into the abyss yeah, uh, so, like, yeah, <laughs> people are crazy. Yeah, the the static ability on that card is called Magecraft, and if there are cheaper versions that do that, like, if there's, like, a, you know, premier one or two mana Magecraft card for some ungodly reason, like, then then we can talk. Then you can build your, uh, you know, 
janky you know legacy combo deck that like has an a plus b combo but no redundancy yeah whatever but i i'm ready to transition into the the topic for the night which is the uh the poster boy of redundancy so we're talking about uro and so as we know there was a recent wave of bannings a bunch of cards got hit and when they were gearing up to announce the ban they made a public announcement that uro was being considered uh that it was when they released the secret lair that contained uro they had to make a pre-sale warning that we're about to ban this card in uh in modern and pioneer and historic or whatever and we're thinking about it for legacy too so we know that they were thinking about it but they ended up not doing it and if you listen to the cast, you know that I stumped for Uro. I said, I think this card will be fine. I think this is an appropriate power level for Legacy. And this is a totally reasonable card to be the best fair threat. And and now Brian thinks it should be banned. Whoa, that is not even true. We're about to discuss <laughs> the pros and cons. I guess we can just wrap up the episode if Brian's just given the spoilers and also wrong. <laughs> He's given the wrong spoilers. So... I wanted to throw everyone, throw everyone off the scent, like, you know. All right, so uh, Uro is obviously, people are playing around with it. There's some obvious homes, like uh, Rug Delver was already playing Uro. Nothing changed there. Um, control decks are doing weird things or making different pivots, playing different cards to become Uro decks. So... Let's get into where we're seeing Uro these days. All right. Why don't we start specifically with the control decks? Because, like, I know multiple of us have been playing with Uro-based control decks of one kind or another recently. And from my point of view, I believe that Uro is the best fair win condition in Legacy currently. Yep. Uh, Don't tell Monastery Mentor, but I feel the same way. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I played with Mentor today, literally right before hopping on this podcast call, um, and it felt good, but Uro has felt just absolutely great, uh, just like when I've been playing it and when my opponents have been playing it, card looks good. I mean, we kind of expected that, though, like we said that in the, you know, OK Wizards episode or whatever it was called, we were like, hey, Uro's going to be the premier threat, we're just hoping that it requires you know like actual cost to be playing double green and it looks like it that is a real cost at the moment like miracles is you know stretching to play uro like not all lists are doing it we're seeing true bant instead of just five color piles yeah I and mean, there was no doubt that uro was going to be good legacy is the smallest format you can play uro in by the way like let that soak in the abandoned standard historic pioneer and modern like th- this is it this is Uro's, uh, I mean, if you ask Matt Murray, it's also a vintage playable card. Uh, like, it, it has shown up in, in some Rug Xerox lists over there, but Legacy There's so is... many Pyroblasts, though. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> They're in the main deck in Vintage. There's a lot in Legacy, too. But, so, we knew Uro would be good, and obviously it is. And uh, I'm going to just echo what Phil said. Uro is like the the smooth butter, just holding your bread together in a lot of these Legacy decks. Uh like I've I've played Uro in Bant Rug and Bug Shells so far. I even tried playing like five color like Snowco 
with uh, abundant growth instead of astrolabe. That was one of my first experiments after the bands, and that didn't work, by the way. Those are very different cards. But I, I felt that most of the, the three-color shells are pretty reasonable. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to ask kind of a setup question here. What is Uro good against? So Uro is good against aggro. It's your best card against aggro. It gives you that life cushion and pulls your resources ahead to get to your pivotal turn early. Uh, it's good against control because you're, it's a cantrip that jumps your resources ahead. Uh, it's also good against some combo decks, namely Dark Depths. Uh, they are trying to hit you for exactly 20 one time, and being at 23 uh, poops in their cereal, you could say. What about the Chalice of the Void decks? Oh, it's pretty good there, too. Oh, so uh, what's it bad against? Uh, it's bad against combo that doesn't specifically carry your life total. Uh, it's also... and We can talk about specific tools to deal with it later, but I think just at at like the macro level against any deck you might sit down against, Uro's going to be pretty reasonable. Like, there is no downside to this this card. Even against combo, where your life total, like, doesn't matter, it's a blue card. Right. It's It force gets eaten by force of will. And if the game does go long, like, it's one of those threats where you can, like, turn three, cast this thing, hit your f- bonus land drop, leave up Flusterstorm, or bonus land drop, play Deafening Silence, and and just ship it, and then that's there. You can play, like, the tit-for-tat, like, I force your spell this turn, I thought seize you that turn, and then, like, four turns later, 6-6, six, six, up a card, let's go. Now you're on the clock. So it, it it's just a great card all the time. So I've been surprised how good that life gain feels. So, like, something some players have been saying for a while is that, like, incremental life gain is pretty darn good in Legacy. And when I'm playing some smaller creature deck, like let's say I can do two or three points of damage a turn most of the time, like every Uro trigger just offsets a turn or a turn and a half of your damage. And if you're attacking with like Baleful Strix for the win because you're playing something like Grixis Control, Uro comes in and then that's three more turns of clock. Like it's surprisingly impressive. Yeah, so in the the previous format, before all the bands, when I was playing these, these like big heavy control decks against Delver, I was frequently boarding out some number of Uros or all of them even because just like the amount of time it took to stick to the board against like the the days red blast sort of stuff, I that wasn't the game plan I wanted to commit to. But control decks now, uh, they are leaning into that hard, where it's not just like a clunky threat that does stuff it, like it they are actively trying to gain three life and buy that extra time and uh, that i know uh like honorog was doing that a lot of people were doing that anyway they're like uro is such a house against delver which was not my experience but uh, if you lean into that plan and decks are just building for that plan now like that 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 three life is pretty nice but at the same time you spent a turn to get the three life, which is a turn where the Delver attacked. So like that cantrip or that extra land drop, you need to convert it somehow because it's not like you just gain three life for free. It is you did spend three mana to do it, which is a lot to spend against Delver for anything. So 
but but yeah, that that life gain definitely huge against like the Baleful Strixes and Snapcaster Mages, and that's really the reason we're not seeing Grix's control show up the way people thought it would. I'd like to pause you for a second, Brian. Uh, you made me think of something during that uh, speech that you were giving. Do you think that the control decks are too big? Like, do you think that they're like Delver is a Stifle Wasteland deck again? And I understand that Stifle has a lot of targets in the Fetchlands that control decks play, but Wasteland's typically weak. But they're still trying to cast these very large cards. Like Ural, like you said, is sometimes a liability. And then they have things like Jace again and Treat the Angels and Terminus can be hit by Stifle, these sort of things. And when we're looking at like metagame numbers, Miracles is a played deck again, which is terrific, mostly because Snow died, but it's not doing a whole lot of winning. Do you think that it'd be better if the control deck slimmed down a little bit? Like, I don't know if it's popular, but the last week or so, I've been running into uh, Miracles Shells playing Mishra's Bobble to trigger Terminus on your opponent's turn for free, and with things like four predict, so they're going a little bit smaller than just like raw card advantage that's a little bit more expensive. Do you think that's better, or is it like a parallel sort of thing? I think it's just a different deck. Uh, even before the bans, uh, I have a a list on my channel from a long time ago where it was just like four bobble, four predict. I think Days was in the deck. It was sort of like a turbo mentor deck. Um, and it, it wasn't the one with Dreadhorde Arcanus that was popular for a while. It was older than that. But uh, I definitely remember casting a lot of predicts after bobbling myself. And that's just like a different thing you can do. Uh, like you need Basically, you need a plan for Uro. And whether your plan is to like pound around it with Monastery Mentor or Terminus it away or plow it away, uh, I think either is fine. You just need to know which side you're on and commit to it. So my, my biggest question with a lot of the Uro decks right now, especially on the more controlling side, is like, how many colors are they supposed to be playing and what does their mana base look like? I've played a couple of multicolor Uro decks recently where things didn't quite work because something like a Council's Judgment, for example, is really hard to cast if you're trying to, you know, have three or four basics in play that you can cast an Uro off of. Trying to, like, get away with a white-white card in that deck is is rough. But at the same time, like, the flexibility and power level of those cards is very real, and they are things that you might want to have access to. Um, so I am expecting lists to tighten up in a bit. Um, the The Magic Online deck lists haven't been posted for the last week or so. Uh, I think it's almost two weeks now. Um, so we don't have the best look at what some of the most recent lists look like. But I've definitely played against a couple of things in leagues, and I've played a couple of things myself. Where after a couple rounds, I was like, yeah, my mana doesn't work. Yeah, I've had the same experience. With Astrolabe gone, people just like forgot how to build mana bases for a while. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you from my experience, when you're in that blue-white X shell, the second basic planes is just such a good feeling against anything that's trying to interact with your life total. Like uh, that turns on the Council's Judgment, turns on the Supreme Verdict, uh, leaves your plow up through Rashadenport. Like, that second planes is so clutch for a lot of those good white cards. But if you're also trying to go blue, blue, green, green for Uro, and you're trying to play around Wasteland, how are you actually going to cast these three spells? Uh, 
just this past weekend, I recorded Ball Lightning Tribal for my channel. Like, uh, it was a donation deck I got, and it has Ball Lightning at Red, 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 Groundbreaker at Green, Green, Green. The original list also had Him to Rock at Black, Black. And it's like, Ooh. I had to figure out that mana base. And obviously, that's preposterous, but that's not actually far off from trying to go white, white, blue, blue, green, green off basic lands and legacy. It, if you have Council's Judgment and a row in your deck together. I had similar experiences with a bug deck where there was like a swamp, a hymn to Turok, and then there was a couple of colorless lands in there too somewhere. And it was just like, oh man, oh no, I don't get to curve out to this Uro on turn four. This is, this is bad. Yeah, that's been coming up in my videos a lot where I'm playing against like some sort of bant or bug and they get the basic planes and the basic swamp. And I say like, oh good, that delays Uro for a full turn cycle. Like whenever it happens, that's just something we don't have to worry about. For one extra turn so i think astrolabe um i'm trying to choose my words carefully here uh it allowed control players to play all of the best cards for so long and people are not ready to give up all of the best cards yet like they don't want to have to pick and choose and i think we're still in that phase a little bit right now where people go i still want to play uro in my control deck but i still want pyroblast too obviously i want white cards uh so we're seeing mana bases that are just like kind of awful especially when stuff will wasteland is the premier thing out of Delver right now. Um, I'm with Brian. Like, basic lands are terrific in my control deck. Like, that's what I'm looking to do. I know that we're supposed to be standing for Uro right now, but I think maybe the best control deck is just straight blue-white splashing a single color right now. Um, not four. And uh, I don't know if I'd even be trying to play Uro. I would probably just be on, like, a single entreat and get it done that way. Oh, that's interesting. Like I'm, I'm in the middle of a what is a jank, essentially a janky miracles league, and ev like every time my opponent has Uro and I just can't immediately answer it, I'm like, oh no, that is a great source of card advantage that I don't have access to. Like that's gonna pressure my my Jaces, my Teferis, whatever. I, like I'm leaning on. Um, I don't know. I. I, I want the green in my deck right now, not only for Uro, but also just like Carpet of Flowers, just beating the dead horse about how great that card is. I mean, I'm aware. Yeah. It's just like really tough on the map. Like, I can't imagine Brian probably has more experience than I do at this, but like when I play control decks, I want really good mana. And I don't think you can do that and play Uro right now. Like the cost is real. So good. There's... There's a difference here between like good mana and untouchable mana. Like I love a basic island and a basic plains. Uh, <laughs> there's no surprise there. I've said that in this episode, plus every other episode we've ever filmed and every video I've ever shot like that. That's my comfort zone. But you can have good mana, but you're exposed to wasteland. You can have great mana, but you're exposed to blood moon like you're exposed to back to basics. So the the bug decks, uh, they're like Bug Uro was one of the first real dedicated Uro decks I ran into in the queues. And then I tried a version myself. They went so deep as to have intuition. They intuition for like Uro Loam Raven's Crime. Oh and God, I got wrecked by that on stream. <laughs> so uh, Pokemoki is the trophy leader right now. It looks like Tom Hep took the month off. So uh, Pokemoki has maintained trophy leadership and... Uh, he actually sent me his bug Uro deck to play on the channel 
and that's what he's been crushing with. Like the the trophy leader is crushing with Bug Uro. Uh, there there are not very many basic lands in that deck, um, and the mana is very good, and it has a crushing end game. But I've also seen Pokemoki tilting off on Twitter about the card Blood Moon. So like there there's a give and take. Yep. Uh, like and and that when he sent me his list, one of the first things I did was add basic swamp to the main. Uh like he had the island in the forest, presumably to get a jump start on Uro, but I identified Abrupt Decay as our out to Blood Moon, and this main deck can't cast Abrupt Decay under Blood Moon. So we're putting a swamp in the main. And like those are the sort of things that you have to start doing. And by doing that, your mana gets worse, but it gets more stable. So uh, there's there's a real push and pull that I think is healthy. But these bug decks and these rug decks and these band decks can absolutely cast Uro. They're just not going to do it on turn four. So we, you've already talked about abundant growth. Uh, Brian, have you played any of the Prophetic Prism uh, control decks that are tr- still trying to play all the greedy cards while maintaining an untouchable mana base? I have not tried Prophetic Prism. I think that it's probably better than Abundant Growth if you just have to go down this road. But I am personally not interested in it. It's nobody submitted it as a donation deck. It's not something I'm going to work on. Uh, like I approach every format with how few colors can I play. Like that's been my draft philosophy uh, for a decade. That's been like how I approach every format. Like can, if I can play one less color than everyone else, I'll be I'll have a smoother plan. And that's my approach to legacy too. Like coming post ban, I cut the red splash from my blue white shark deck. It was like there's no Oko, we don't need red blast anymore, which isn't quite true. But it's it's how it's my process. So I am not the one who's going to start with the five color deck and try to force it into existence. I'm the one who's going to start with a two color deck and try to force that into existence. I think the prophetic prism just ends up walking into too much stuff. Like, you're much more exposed to things like Spellpierce and Daze and Thalia and Thorn of Amethysts and stuff of that nature. And while any one of those things, like, doesn't really matter, like, once you start adding up the list of things that Prophetic Prism is worse against, like, including something like Karn as well, I I think overall that just kind of tips the scales to, like, you're just not quite there. I thought this was a Karn-free zone. No. He's always lurking. Yeah, Karn also just like by the way shuts off Isochron Scepter. Um just in case anyone had forgotten about that re- relevant legacy interaction. <laughs> and the people are up in arms. I actually got a it wasn't a donation list. It was someone in my Patreon dropping lists and they were like, "Oh, check out this Isochron Scepter version I built too." And it's like, "Oh dear. That is a card that still exists technically." It sure does technically exist. It's a rough league. <laughs> so uh, to get a little bit back on topic, like Earl's not completely free, right? Like other than the mana cost, there's still um, the mana cost being difficult. There's like deck building restraints, right? Like, oh, yeah, for sure. I imagine as the similar thing to Snapcaster Mage where like you want to play Rest in Peace, but all of your best cards in your deck involve the graveyard now like miracles used to be this thing that would just slam rest in peace in every list because you didn't have anything other than the snapcaster um it has to be different now with Uro. like you're almost priced into playing just a bunch of surgicals right like you can't really play anything else uh soul guide lantern has been popular nihil spellbomb is yep. popular if you're in black 
but you don't get Rest in Peace and you don't get Graftigger's Cage, which are the two biggest ones. You also don't get Relic of Progenitus, but I think that's been largely obsoleted by Soul Guide Lantern anyway. Uh, but I have seen Relic in decks still recently. So those are three symmetrical cards that are no good. Also, Phil, Dranith Magistrate, you can't play that one if you want to bring back your Uro. That's the, that one hasn't come up for me. I know I've got the Hushbringer interactions down now. Yeah, I think we also missed a shard. There's Grixis that exists, but uh, unfortunately, you can't play Uro there, which is like a pretty big cost right now. Like Grixis decks are really popular, but not playing Uro in your grindy deck seems kind of bad to me. And it's the full double whammy. We talked about this last week when we talked about Callum's uh, Esper Mentor deck, where we talked about how that's a Grixis deck, but it can answer Uro because it has. Uh, plow instead of lightning bolt but otherwise the shell is largely intact and so grixis not only doesn't get uro but it can't answer uro like you can play a cling to dust in the main deck but you don't get like four plows and it wasn't enough yeah i i I played a league with like grixis control with a couple of like fun ofs in there like a karanos and whatnot um and like the deck was solid and then i got paired against uro and it was just like emergency meeting there is a problem i need to find a cling to dust right now or i am going to lose game one yeah uh, the uro is definitely that it, it kind of is evocative of dredge like it's a very similar thing that it's this graveyard different axis point of interaction that's going to keep coming up if you can't deal with it and i mean as we know it obviously dredge is an extreme version of that but it's the same idea like how much main deck graveyard hate are you going to play and how much do you need to respect uro and how quickly do you need to find it how well can your deck cantrip like all of these are questions that you need to be asking in deck selection right now i think part of the problem is that cling to dust is just sort of an underwhelming card in general like uh what, what was it called the card from invasion cremate like that was never a playable card this is just cremate with flashback like you don't want really want to be playing that yeah, uh, I think it's better than that, but it, I agree it's kind of uh it it's not it's not a banger. Like it does not replace like Green Sun Zenith for Scavenging Ooze. It does not play that sort of game, but uh, I do think the the escape is significantly more than you're giving it credit for cuz each time you escape it, it cantrips and if you're not using your own graveyard for anything, like if you don't have your own Uros, it, you could draw you know, three or four cards over the course of a game while just all natural. And if you're also disrupting their Uros or their Snapcasters while you're doing that, it becomes a, a pretty serious one card engine. I think it works better in something like Stripo Pile, where you just have this like assortment of slightly different cards that all do multiple things that somehow end up making a cohesive whole. I think it works well in that sort of deck. Um, it felt a little underwhelming to me in Grixis because I also wanted to be doing things like Gurmag Anglers and Snapcasters that were also using my graveyard relatively heavily. Yeah. And I didn't have like DAC to keep fueling my graveyard. That's what I was about to say. I don't agree with the first half of your sentence, but DAC is the reason that DAC gets to play Kling. Uh, if you're not running DAC Fade and I don't think Kling works. And, uh, like I understand what Brian was saying about the course of a long game, Sure, like your one mana card, if you like put 20 mana into it, could draw five cards. 
Um, I just don't think that's the sort of card you want to be playing in your deck in general, though. Like, it's so weak in the early game. And I understand that having an out to Uro is terrific, but there has to be something better. I don't know. I'm just not a big fan. Um, Min of Min Max blog saw me booting up for the, the stream for Grixis, immediately popped in and said, don't start recording, get some cling to dusts for the main deck. And we went back and forth for a minute or two before I realized, like, oh, he's right. I am going to be Stone Cold Dead to Uro without those. So, like, it's a tool that is probably necessary right now, or otherwise, like, you need to play, like, a Spellbomb main deck or something, which, like, I've been down that road before, but I, I didn't love it. So we're going to talk about how to beat Uro later, uh, but let's pivot into Uro in Delver. Like, we just hit Uro in control pretty hard. So what what's going on with Uro in the Delver Ducks? So historically, I think when a lot of us hear Delver, we think this is a low-to-the-ground tempo deck with a lot of really efficient threats. And Delver right now is a low-to-the-ground efficient deck that also has Uro as an endgame, a source of inevitability, a way to cheat lands back into play after, like, you've returned them to your hand with days. And it makes it so that if you use all your initial resources on the Delvers, then you don't have anything to deal with the Uro endgame. And it kind of gives you that same sort of situation you saw with a, a Dreadhorde Arcanist, where you answer the Delver, the Arcanist gets you a few turns later, that same sort of thing is happening here, and this thing draws you some cards, too. But this is on a reasonable timetable. Yes. As far as, and by reasonable, I mean in the frame of the legacy card pool. In the the card pool where Dark Ritual is legal, uh, just must answer turn one Delver into must answer turn two Dreadhorde Arcanist or you lose, versus like they evoke the Uro on some turn. And then you can see their graveyard, you can see their mana in play, you have time to line something up. Like, uh, calling it, comparing it to Dreadhorde Arcanist seems dangerous, but like, yes, they are trying to do the similar thing, just on a more manageable timetable. Yes, this this is healthy, to clarify my original statement. Right. For what it's worth, I've also seen lists that I just aren't playing Uro. Like, Uro's obviously good, because when you look at Delver... So Phil was talking historically. More recently, we've seen the Delver shell break once you give it uh, a card advantage engine or inevitability. Um, between like Ren and Six, you know, Deathrite Shaman, Dreadhorde, and you could even go as far back to talk about Treasure Cruise, but I feel like that's a little bit of a different beast. Uh, Earl f might fit into that slot. I'm not sure, but we've also seen people just going like, I'm not really looking to play that game. I'm just going to run more Hooting Mandrills or more Tarmogoyfs or whatever. Um, so you don't have to play the game if you don't want to. Yeah, and that's another part of this that just like the control decks deciding if they want to be Uro decks or not, Delver has to do that too. Like those two slots where you could play Uro could just be like two Chain Lightning and you can go face or just some other thing like another like Hooting Mandrills just try to get in there quicker. Uh, you don't get to play Hooties if you're playing Uro. Uro could affect the size of your Tarmogoyfs. Like, there are, there is push and pull here. Sorry, Nimble Mongoose, you are already dead, but you're really dead now, buddy. Uh, so there's, there are choices to be made, for sure. If you play Hooties and Whales, you could call it like Hootie and the Blowfish. 
Just throwing that out there. Wow. You're going to need a lot of cards in your graveyard, though. Bring back Thought Scour. And, and another thing about Uro is that although it does cantrip, it creates card advantage, it is ultimately a big fat monster. And Delver produces big fat monsters. Like the aforementioned Hootie, the Tarmogoyf, the, the whatever. Like, if you're bringing in all your Supreme Verdicts and your Swords to Plowshares and your whatever, your answers to creatures anyway, you're still going to be able to kill some Uro. You're just going to have to deal with the cantrip it produces when it comes into play as well. Uh, and like every time they get five cards in their graveyard, you'll have to answer it again. So you get into this sort of like mid to late game, like pulsation effect where it's like, okay, I dealt with that one. And around and around we go uh, until they're out of cards in their graveyard or you kill them around it. So it's not like Oko where it's just a full sidestep. Something totally different is happening now. And I have to respect that. Like this is just a monster and something that draws cards, which is what Reg Delver just does on the first axis anyway. I was going to say, it's a little interesting that I think Uro's the first card in Delver history. I guess you could go really far back to like Mystic Enforcer or like Fledgling Dragon. That entices you to have four lands in play because traditionally, and like most Delver lists, once you get land three, you probably hold every other land to brainstorm back because you don't really want four lands in play ever. And having Uro in your deck entices you to play four lands and maybe even five to play around opposing dazes. And, like, that's just, like, sort of strange historically. Um, just throwing that out there, because it is, like, it requires a different play pattern that some people may not enjoy. It's just a random thought. Yeah, it's definitely, like, I, I felt that in the league I played where all of my, my muscle memory said, like, stop playing lands at number three. Especially as we move into the late game, like, I'll eventually draw a brainstorm and cash this in. But, like, I'll eventually escape Uro and cash this in is pretty juicy, too. So... Uh, someone's going to win or lose a game based on making that choice correctly at some point in Legacy, and it's going to happen pretty often. Um, I also do wonder if we're going to see some new sorts of Delver deck lists. So the other day, I played against a four-color Delver deck list. Um, Black was not there. That was playing Uros and Lightning Bolts and Swords of Plowshares in addition to like the normal Delvery stuff. And I was playing some creature deck and just eight one mana removal spells plus Uro as endgame wrecked me. And I wonder if, like, because Lightning Bolt going to the face isn't a great closing plan versus Uro, I wonder if we're going to start to see maybe some Bant Delver or something like that, where, like, you don't need the red anymore. Well, maybe not need, but it's not the best option. There's always been a natural tension between playing Bolt and Swords in the same deck. Um, but I guess it's possible to just be Bant Delver. I think losing the I can kill you out of nowhere aspect uh, actually hurts Delver quite a bit. Like, I think we actually talked about that in, la in the last episode with Bug Delver. The surprise element of Get You changes the, the dynamic of the matchups quite a bit because your opponent gets to play knowing how much more time they have. Yep. And. Uh, Phil's point is really interesting, and I hadn't considered it. Like, if Uro is something you're planning to beat, is bolting them out from 9 or 6 life still a reasonable thing to plan for? And uh, if so, 
do you are you dazing the front half of uro are you forcing the front half of uro like how dedicated are you to getting your opponent into double bullet range like that that becomes pretty interesting as well we also haven't just brought up something that really commonly happens like the the point of the game where like your opponent has six mana or whatever and like they spend a turn cantripping and then they're just like play an uro play another uro and the following turn is uro escapes and all of a sudden they have like brought nine life back in the mid game right your lightning bolts feel real bad then well, maybe we need Force of Monstrosity to be printed. Uh, it will be the same thing as Force of Negation, but only creatures. Uh, yes, Wizards, I'm accepting uh, your application for your creative department. Um, thank you. Yeah, that sounds like a great card. It's called Force of Despair. They already printed it. That's different, Brian. It's black. This is blue. You can pitch your own Uros to remove theirs from the game. Fair enough. Uh, you could also just play Remove Soul. Or or something. Unsummon. Alright, we've gone far off the rails here. Alright, do we have anything else we want to say about Delver, or should we move to the other category? So I just want to flip the script on the graveyard as a resource. Like, you don't get Hootie, and it affects Tarmogoyf if you're playing Uro. Also, if people are bringing in Rest in Peace against you because you have Hootie or Tarmogoyf, Uro just becomes Brick City. It becomes Growth Spiral. And Grow Spiral is not a legacy card. so That happened during the Ren era. Yeah. Yep, uh, that happened a lot. Uh, during the Ren era, Rest in Peace plus Pyroblast answered every threat in Delver. And that's kind of a loose place to be uh, if your, your hyper-efficient best deck just loses to this two-card package. And obviously, you have to be a white deck and a red deck to produce that package. But at the same time, like, I... I love Rest in Peace. I love playing Rest in Peace. I love what it does to fair decks, and while also just being obviously one of the best things against the unfair decks that it cares about. And if if people are in Uro City, like figure out how to play Rest in Peace, like rock it. Like I, I think maybe it might be time. Like I joked about this uh, in a previous episode, but I recorded a uh, a variation of Shark Still with, that was the Rest in Peace Energy Field combo instead of Moat and Quartz and like main deck Rest in Peace. I've straight up scooped to that out of Enchantress this week playing uh, just some deck and they're just like turn to Rest in Peace game one. Like, well, shit, I'm dead. So that's that's where the uh, the smart brain is going to be. All right. Um, let's talk about Uro in other decks now. Because, like, as far as its impact on the metagame, Uro is having the most impact in Delver and in these various control decks, but we're seeing it in a lot of places. A lot of the donation deck lists that I, play, I played in the past year were held together by the strength of something like an Oko. And, like, you leaned on the fire design cards in order to make your cute thing more viable. And I think now a lot of those fringe playable ideas are going to start leaning on Uro to do the same thing. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I, I've seen a lot of piles <laughs> get... Uh, uh, they're allowed to make it into the mid-game in the Legacy card pool because they just are able to produce Uro. And that's just such a, a clutch axis to interact on. Uh, and I, I'm glad you mentioned or 
did you mention Hushbringer and Stifle Knot? Or am I just it's, reading It's the in the show notes. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right. So the I think that that's a super cool thing that I've seen come up a few times. Uh, actually, video number 250, the one that's coming out the same day as this podcast, is Bug Uro Stifle Knot. And the brilliant technology that the person who submitted the deck found was Lazav, the Multifarious. Mm-hmm. And like that's a two mana one three that surveils one and you can pay X to turn it into a creature in your graveyard and it keeps that ability. And uh, the the list was sent to me by someone who five owed with the list and I four one with the list and the loss was fucking close, like a heartbreaker. And like that, I think that's super cool. Like I had a turn where I had Lazav in play. I turned it into an Uro, attacked, got the Uro trigger, they chumped with Snapcaster Mage, then I turned Uro into Phyrexian Dreadnought and trampled for 11. Oh, baby. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, that That shit is nice. And, like, I, I, I don't think that that deck would function just with Dreadnought. I think you also need something like Uro uh, at that power level that, like, Dreadnought requires a second card to ever do anything. Uro produces extra cards for you to do things with. So I I do like that it's sort of duct taping these crazy strategies together in a way that might actually make them good. You hear that, Phil Blackman? Somebody else busted Lozovnot before you. You spent two years trying to figure it out. Someone did it with Uro. Face. Yeah, check the trophy list. It's out there. Or or is it because Moto deck lists rip? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I... <laughs> I don't really, like, mine or farm data during the week. Like, I basically put all of my content creation and magic thought into the weekends right now with my the way my life is. So what's up with the Moto lists? Did they say we're done, or did they just stop releasing them? What's going on? No, something went wrong, and they're trying to fix it. They've acknowledged that, and they've said, we don't have a timeline for when we're going to fix it. We're working on it. Oh, so they, they've lost the ability to, like, scrape lists out of Magic Online? Is that what's happening? I think so. Huh. That's I weird. wonder if it has anything to do with the uh, the bug that Card Hoarder experienced where they're like, yeah, our system just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, that was scary to me as a oh, yeah. Card Hoarder sponsored content creator who gets all of their cards from Card Hoarder right before. Like, they tweeted that during the week and it was fixed by the weekend when I actually needed to play Magic. But that was scary. Uh, Phil, did you lose a night of content for that? No, thankfully I had borrowed the stuff the day before. Uh, otherwise, I would have recorded a death and taxes leak. Yeah. Oh no, sorry, card hoarder. I can't give them back. <laughs> I borrowed them, but your bots are broken. Yeah. Shoutouts to them, though. They had everything fixed within twenty four hours. Like, I was impressed. Yeah. I mean, hashtag sponsored, but seriously, they are a delight to work with. Yeah, I would. I would say everything that I say about card hoarder if I were not sponsored by them in any capacity, like. They're great. Yeah, they were not the first company I reached out for to for sponsorship, not as any personal reason, just like uh they it wasn't on my radar. And uh they the hello I'm interested email and the your accounts active email were probably four days apart. Uh compared to like another company that does a sim officer a similar service who I will not name who uh, I fired an email into the void. It, three weeks later, I messaged them on Twitter. Uh, two weeks after that, I messaged some of their sponsored people like, hey, do you have a contact over there? Like, what the hell? And 
I, I still haven't heard back from them and I've been happily working with card hoarder for months now. So, all right, card hoarder, uh, hashtag sponsored section is over. Uh, but, but yeah, that, that is weird that the lists all ate shit. For the uh, donation decks that I've been playing that uh, I don't own, I've been buying some of the decks just because like they're cheaper. The pieces that I'm missing are not there. But I've been like using a friend's card hoarder's account to like lend me decks. Like I received one today that is uh, Oops All Spells with the Living Wish LED package. I'm like, I own like three cards out of this deck list. Like someone's going to have to rent this for me. Community's great though. Like they will, they will, they will come for you if you need cards. Shout, shout outs to to Callum, who like I'm pretty sure he passed around the whole breachers that he had to at least a dozen people. <laughs> yes, Callum was uh uh Whitefaces MTG. Callum Smith was responsible for all legacy content the week Hall Breacher came out. I think it's safe to say. Uh, I definitely got some from him. He was that was also my first video that hit ten thousand views. So thanks, Callum. He's not the hero we wanted, but no, I I did. yeah callum's cool i actually met him irl at uh eternal weekend europe when i went so that was cool to meet those people over there i've gotten very drunk with callum actually i proposed to my now wife in front of him that's that's a wild story yeah was that like the actual proposal or a drunken like second round uh he was literally fist fighting sam rukas on the ground while i was doing it (laughs) It was a wild night. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, your wife is is a trooper, and you need to clean up your act. <laughs> I, I was completely sober. Like, I had it all planned out. I was going to propose in front of this palace, and then those two got super drunk and started fighting while Sam's uh, wife was, like, trying to record me proposing. Well, you, you better get your life together and show up to dinner on time, or you're going to have <laughs> marriage problems. <laughs> Oh God! All right, so um, let me let me ask a question here. Is every deck playing Uro in the same way, or are there different sorts of Uro decks right now? There are definitely different sorts of Uro decks. Uh, there are the decks that have Uro in there as a card that's good, like we're talking about Rug Delver or like a a like mid-range bant or bug deck that ha- might have a tar- some tarmogoyfs or might have like jace and some other stuff some snapcasters some hall breachers whatever and uro is just a powerful card and then there are the decks that are planning to win with uro period uh my esper extraction deck the three main deck surgical experiment i had a bant miracles player ask me are you on drugs and then concede in response to my game one surgical extraction on uro and like a lot of these decks literally just have like three euros and a Jace in them to actually win the game with maybe like a Snapcaster floating around, but uh, they are all in on that. So understanding whether Uro is an axis I need to respect or the plan I need to dig in for, it makes a big change in how you need to play that matchup. So Brian has been around as long as I have when it comes to Legacy, and I'm sure Brian remembers. Aluren used to play like five different creatures to get to this point where they could draw a card with um, Kevin Harpy, and then like another creature to gain life, and like another creature to return 
Uh, because like at the time, like there were no creatures that just returned another one. So you'd play a blue creature to bounce a different one. So you'd have like these four different creatures all just to draw a card and not lose life. Uro just cleaned all of that up. And I think it's probably the coolest usage of Uro out there. It's just Uro, Cavern, Herpy, draw my deck. Yeah, that is pretty dope in Alaren. I'm a big fan of that. And it never hits the graveyard. So fuck your graveyard hate. You better counter the, the Uro. It feels yeah. bad, man. I think it's just like by far the coolest way to play Uro. That's one of those decks where like if I had more time to be messing around with, like, and I wasn't doing a whole bunch of donation deck lists, I'd totally jam an Alluren League. Like, it's fun. Hopefully that's not too much of a bear to click through. I'm it's not. not. Sure. Like, it, it's not an unbound loop. Like, it's just you have to click your things. Um, I'm trying to think of a deck it's comparable to, but it, it's probably closer to, like, uh, uh, Urza Echo than it is to Bomberman. Yeah, and I don't like playing the Bomberman and food chain style lists. Like no, the tedium I, I, I is that. is rough. Yeah, like I I actually don't mind clicking through like a clean Bomberman kill, but when we're talking about like uh Wurza in modern, like there was one game I think I was in a PTQ where like I had infinite mana and I could cast my deck and I was but I was against Tron who I need they could actually like untap play oblivion stone and clear all of it and then they could beat infinite life so they didn't just concede so i had to actually make five mana at a time like make five thopters then tap them all for five mana then flip a card off my deck with urza and do that until i was able to assassin's trophy one of their tron lands going into their turn and like that is just abject misery because there is no clean line like something that would take one second in real life Took me, I think it was like seven minutes or more on Magic Online. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't like those decks is the point, but I think Aluren is actually fine. Yeah, like I played against Bomberman today and my opponent like put an Oriox Salvager on the stack and everything that was, was just there. And I just like snap conceded. It's like, nope, don't click through that. Like we're we're done here. Like no one wants to deal with that. I'm the opposite, Phil. I'm an asshole. If you <laughs> sign up with Bomberman, you better be ready to click. Like sometimes... Like, I'll get in the chat, like, will you concede? I'm like, I don't know that you have Ballista in hand. Like, if you if I see all three pieces, I'll be a gentleman and concede. But I'm not going to concede if you tell me that you have it. Like, I'm, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I, I always tell my opponent, like, I'll concede to a Ballista for one. Or I'll yeah, concede exactly. to a stupid blue-green thing for X equals one. Food chain is the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll let my opponent show me that they have the card. Um I'm not going to lie, if it was like a PTQ, if if I was like 6-0 in a PTQ, I would make them click through it because the clock is part of the game. Yep. But in a league, especially if I'm recording it for content, like people don't want to see me sit there and make them time out. So, yeah, yeah. I, I hate winning rounds like by timeout when I'm recording, especially when like you realize it like and there's 10 minutes left in a round and like, you know, it's going that direction. It's just like, OK. Here we go. Uh, yeah. I'm the opposite. It happens so often in Vintage because the Jeskai Zero, Zero XX, they don't play win cons. They play like one Dread Horde and their game plan is to attack you 20 times or play their one of Mentor. And it's like, well, if they don't find the Mentor, they're going to time out. Yep. So like I just sit there and take my lumps. That brings us directly back into the topic by 
if you're playing against one of those like Bant Miracles decks that really only has three Euros to reasonably win the game with, Caracas becomes a counter win con. And I think Caracas is one of the most interesting cards with Uro because Bouncing Uro resets their like six life divination, but it also takes the six six out of play. And if they attack with it, they're going to get the three life plus one card anyway. So like sometimes it feels like a, I hate this, but I'm going to do it. And other times it feels like if I do this three times and you play your Uro six times, escaping at three of them, you're going to be pretty close to being decked and you won't be able to attack three times with Uro and draw a card three times because you'll die. And that becomes a real way to win a game. And decks that are that committed to Uro probably can't answer a Caracas in the main deck either. So I I think that that's another deck building thing you need to consider. Like maybe if your plan is to win with Uro, you just have to put Assassin's Trophy or like two wastelands or back to basics from in your the main. ashes. Yeah, from the ashes. Yep, light them up. Yeah, so just having some out to that. Uh, is another thing you have to consider. So, uh, and I, I also like being an Uro deck with Caracas. So like in response to the plow, you just pick it back up. Ooh, feels good. What I've noticed is a lot of the miracles decks that are sporting Uro feel like they can't play back to basics just because you do have to play two trop, uh, to support it. And like two tundra, like they just have more non-basics than they want to play. They end up playing the Caracas that Brian mentioned. And before you know it, they're up to like, six non-basics and they're like do i really want to be playing this card that's also going to hurt me yeah i mean you put it in the sideboard for like 12 post and lands where it's gonna always be worse for them but you don't get to put it in the main deck like a, a blue white shark still deck might chomp 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 burn up, burn up. yeah i i found that there's a lot of really interesting lines when your opponent has an uro and you're trying to like manage their graveyard so I've had a couple of times where like I had a wasteland and the wasteland would have been good to use, but then that puts land number or that puts card number five into the graveyard for Uro. So there's this tension of like, do I actually want to wasteland you because it makes that thing come back a turn sooner? Or similarly, I had a league where I was playing some blue deck. It might have been Grixis where there was a spell I wanted to counter. But if I countered it, then Uro got to come back and I found there's a lot of neat spots like that that you can pay attention to to keep the Uro from hitting play for just one more turn. It's interesting that we saw in the pre-ban meta, we saw a lot of people running, uh, I'm going to blink on the name of it now, the White Enchantment that made two twos. The White Enchantment that made two twos. Yeah, uh, and then it, it could give them plus one, plus one in Vigilance with Landfall. Oh, uh, Felidar Retreat. Felidar. Yeah, so we saw a bunch of control decks playing Felidar Retreat, and then, you know, the bans happened, and they all just disappeared. Like, I haven't seen a Felidar Retreat since, and uh makes me wonder, like, because even then people knew that Uro was the only wing con. Like, why did this change? Is it because people think that Jace will always be good enough now? Yeah, I think we're in a period of discovery. Like we talked about it last week where uh, you said you think you're going to see Stifles disappear from Delver again over time and lists are going to clean up and four color decks are going to disappear. And I think that Jace is going to be another one of those learning curves where 
like are people playing red elemental blast because that card is not good in an euro meta game uh like the reason felidar retreat was good is because people were playing graveyard hate for euro and abrupt decay for oko and red blast for both and felidar retreat just jumped through all three of those hoops and jace if people are attacking the graveyard and leaving in their swords to plowshares post board against control decks because that's the clean answer to uro then jace gets to run free so i think that's just going to depend on what sort of threats the metagame produces and what sort of answers are required to answer them i think like we're obviously focusing on uro this episode right but there are there are other things in the format that are very noteworthy right now um such as the field of the dead decks some of which are also Uro decks. Uh, yeah, those are also Uro decks. <laughs> um, and like, Omnath. Yeah, your your Jaces feel pretty embarrassing versus Field of the Dead, right? Like, I'm going to brainstorm, and then you're going to fetch, and I'm going to lose my Jace. Or I'm going to unsummon a zombie for a couple of turns in a row, and then never get to brainstorm with Jace. I'm not feeling super hot on Jace across the board. It's also like kind of awkward to be balancing an Uro. Like it takes pressure off of you, but like your opponent gets to convert that into cards that they use to get to fight the Jace, yada, yada, yada. Well, that's why I was asking the question earlier on in the podcast about if the control decks were built wrong, that they're too big. I actually really like the four bobble, four predict uh, version of Miracles at the moment. It's really low to the ground. It's better against Day Stifle Spell Pierce. Um, I don't know. Like, it just seems a lot smoother to me, and I feel like Miracles loses when it's clunky, so I'm a big fan of that. Like, just being able to filter through more cards has a lot of value. I agree with your point. I don't agree with the language of built wrong, because the whole thing about control decks is that you build them for what you expect, and there is almost never a correct build of any control deck for more than one tournament. And whether it swings wildly from, like, we want to be big versus we want to be Mishra's Bobble, that might move a little slower. But, like, you can't lock in a 75 for, like, three weeks in a row with any control deck in any format, or at least not successfully. And honestly, maybe part of the reason, like, we're not seeing more optimized control lists yet is because we are missing out on these deck lists and people aren't, like, pouring over them to figure out what they should be doing. They're just playing. Yeah, also just uh we this conversation comes up once in a while the uh league quote unquote meta game versus a a challenge meta game where people who are trying to win 9 of their 11 rounds on the day versus people who are uh trying to w- go for one and queue into the next league it is just a totally different thing and if I were to build my control deck for the leagues, I'm going to want to beat Oops All Spells. I'm going to want to beat the Epic Storm. I'm going to want to beat Delver. And if I'm queuing into a challenge, I'm going to focus higher on Delver. I'm not going to respect Oops or Storm at all, uh, or very little. Um, nothing that isn't incidental. And uh, I'm going to plan for more control mirrors, like uh, Splash Red in my control deck for the challenge, but maybe not in the league. So there's a lot of decisions like that that are going on. And without SCGs or Grand Prix or really any paper magic being played, it's really tough to figure out a metagame. I'm sure that the two of you saw the announcement today about the uh, the unlimited accounts coming back for a short period of time. I immediately rolled my eyes. 
Uh, I hate every single time that we have unlocked accounts because there's people that want to get into legacy and then they play oops all spells and they make my life terrible. I, I just don't enjoy playing magic when we have unlimited accounts because everyone that doesn't actually play the format goes, let's meme on people. Um, I hate it. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Phil, how how does the uh, building a legacy community and uh, minimizing gatekeeping and welcome new people conversation play in here? Because <laughs> that sounded like some elitist BS to me. And maybe you just use your infinite account to put Force of Will in your deck for that week and then never lose. I love the infinite account weeks because like those people who never get a chance to play are like hopping in and yeah some of them are hopping in there with like oops and whatnot and like they're trying to grind their way into the format that way but then like you have the people who haven't played in forever and then they're hopping in and they're like yeah here's my stone blade list that i used to play like i'm gonna go jam some games with this for fun and then you get people like you know callum or joe dyer or someone like that just hopping in with some crazy stuff and it makes for great content when people are like playing some variety there's a big difference between me saying I don't like playing as Oops All Spells, Brian, and fucking gatekeeping. Like, I'm not telling people, don't play Legacy, stick to your modern. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying I don't enjoy playing against Oops All Spells. Like, yes, I want people to play Legacy. I just don't want to play against Oops All Spells. So, do we have anything else we want to say about Uro specifically? So, I, I have a final question that I think we can wrap up on, and it's, is this good magic? Like, we mentioned... All the reasons Uro is powerful. We mentioned ways you can combat Uro and different play patterns Uro encourages, or in some cases forces. At the end of the day, is this good magic? Like, is this interesting, like, meta shift, let's figure this out? Or is this interesting, like, oh, it's interesting that nothing can beat Oko? Bryant, do you want to start here, or should I? I think it's fine. Um... Like I like I'm a, in a little bit of a disagreement with you two. I don't think the Euro decks are that good. Uh, I think the better Delver decks aren't playing it, and I think the control deck should probably drop it. I think it's very very healthy for the format. Uh, I'd be shocked if it ever gets banned if the status quo without like something like Astrolabe changes it. Wow, I wasn't expecting the Euro is a trap argument, and I I kind of like it like. The good Delver decks don't play Uro. The good Control decks won't play Uro. Just everyone messing around with Uro is is playing in the sandbox. I like it. I like that take. I do think too many decks are playing Uro, and I've made a video of that exact nature at some point. I, I think there are a lot of people who are splashing for an extra color that they don't necessarily need in their deck to specifically play Uro. Um, and, like, it's too much. Like, they're playing Maverick with, like, Uro as their one blue card and, like, maybe a Leovold 2 or something like that. And that's a lot of stress on the mana base for a card that's good, but not that good. Yeah, uh, I released a Bug Doomsday League this week. It'll be up by the time this podcast goes live. And my experience through the entire league was that Doomsday is a really powerful deck. And I randomly lost games because, like, Tropical Island couldn't cast Dark Ritual, or I got Wastelanded in a deck that should have a bunch of basics in it. And just, like, uh, they tried to stretch for two Uros and a Leovold, basically, in the main deck. Then there was some stuff in the sideboard, and it Uro never pivoted to win a game. 
it, it just made going off with Doomsday harder. And I like that's a spot where I don't think that belongs. Uh, but uh, yeah, so there is a lot of and that's that feeds into Brian's point, too, of people just goofing around with this card because it's the best card and I, I'm going to try to play it. But it's not actually like Oko that can just arrive and carry a game by itself uh, for the cost of one green mana. It, it's a significant cost. And it doesn't really do a whole lot up front for a lot of decks. On on my end, as far as the, the question goes, like, is this good magic? I've been enjoying the hell out of it. Like, my views are way up on YouTube. I've been having fun playing magic. I feel like there's been a pretty good mix of things that I've been seeing in leagues. Sometimes I do just get, like, steamrolled by an Uro, like... That's whatever, right? Like, in Legacy, you're always going to get steamrolled by something at some point. Like, there's got to be, you know, a couple of best things to be doing. And I haven't felt like Uro is unhealthy at all. Yep, that's exactly my feeling, too. Like, I, I like a long control game. I like finding the, the sideboard option that shuts down what the best thing in the format is. I like coming in from the side like that. And... If there's not a best thing, it gets harder to metagame. Because right now, you, if you build a deck that's like, I am not going to lose to Uro, that's going to be worth a lot as you queue into your leagues. Uh, if there was no Uro, if it was the complete Wild West, uh, good luck building a sideboard in a control deck. It, like, You, you kind of have to play Delver if you want to be a blue deck in a wide open meta, but you, you get some choices when you know what to expect. So part of my take was based on the fact that when we're looking at winning decklist, it's a lot of rug delver at the moment with and without Uro, but then a lot of death and taxes and death and taxes is like a Karakas deck with source to plow shares. Like there's also like uh, Phil, like I'm not sure about this, but if you flicker Wisp and Uro, does it go to the graveyard? I think it does. Yes. Yeah. So like I, I, I get that it's good. I just don't think that it's actually good in the metagame right now. Um, yeah. I, I could think... always be wrong. Like, I'm not super excited to play Death and Taxes in leagues right now, because while I feel like, yeah, like, you've got a good Delver matchup, you've probably got a good Control matchup, like, those Thassa's Oracle decks are still out there. <laughs> those those ones are rough. Well, Phil, I have good news for you. Uh, one, Torpor Orb exists and you can be playing it. And two, so many Doomsday players are just bored of winning, so they're adding things like Baleful Strix and Mitra's Bobble <laughs> under their deck because it was too easy before. So they're like, I need and to Uro. make this more challenging on myself. So they've added bad cards into their deck to make it more fun. But uh, if they ever go back to playing like really tuned, like lower to the ground lists, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be playing Death and Taxes either. Yeah, Bring back like, Personal Tutor. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Every Every time someone casts a Personal Tutor, I'm like, oh, shit. It's next turn. I'll admit, I didn't really understand Personal Tutor at first. Uh, I thought it was instant or sorcery until I played the deck, and I was like, oh, this gets nothing. It gets uh, Doomsday. I, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, like, I think a three of is probably right on Personal Tutor. I wouldn't play four. It's also, like, $120 now. Yeah, the fewer the better. I was just going to say, I only own one in real life, so let's let's optimize the list so there's only the one. Doomsday is hard, by the way. Like... I specifically avoided playing the deck because I was intimidated by it for basically like since Thassa's Oracle was printed. So the last year and I've gotten it twice as uh, donation decks, one as the in Doomsday, the the Tin Fins Doomsday modal deck 
And then this Bug Doomsday deck I played this week, and wow, Doomsday is challenging too. You need your reps. Like, let me tell you, the... Uh, <laughs> I guess this isn't a spoiler because the league will be out by the time you're listening to this, but there was a league where I just resolved this squeaky clean mind to lose doomsday and I miscounted my mana and I put my uh, ideas unbound on the stack and realized I would lose if it resolved. And I was like, oh my God, please force this, please force this. And they did. And then I won the next turn because they forced my ideas unbound and I made a couple of egregious, like, give them a turn I didn't need to, or straight up lose if they don't play wrong sort of things, and that deck's tough. (laughs) That's not a pick-up-and-play donation deck. I've had that happen a few times in Vintage, uh, where my opponents are new to Doomsday. They'll cycle into Gush, Cash, Gush, and then Ancestral, and, like, they're gonna deck themselves. Yep. That is six cards. Yep, that's too many. Uh, It's stressful, too. Like, I guess that's what the card is supposed to do, but like you lose half your life and it's now or never. That's a very well designed top down. Like it is doomsday. (laughs) Like get it done or you're dead. I kind of love it. All right. Do we have anything else to say? Whoa. 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 Who's wrapping this up? So yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm done. Uh, Uro's strong, but not bullshit. Just good. All right. You guys suck at ending episodes. Thank you all for listening today. <laughs> I hope you have a great rest of the day, whatever it is you're doing, and keep listening to our podcast despite the fact that our outro is way worse than our intro. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. Back again. For to fill what it do. Who's crazier and crazier every time, man? It's feeling real good, too. Me. Shape-shifting from the graveyard, become a copy. How's Demir, Phyrexian Trim looking sleek? Surveilling Ravnik and Districts with these thick boots. A blue and a black, tap, tap, it's so cold. Demir, your dirty laundry, welcome to the fold. Single power, triple the butt, looking precarious. Too bad you mistook me for somebody else, I'm multifarious. Could be an O2 crab, wait, I'm a 12-12. Getting dread naughty on this board, this can't end well. I'm just an innocuous, multicolored legend. I am the house of many faces, are you stark pretending? I don't flip, I just am a total mystery. In tune with myself like a yogi doing tai chi. Nobody believes that I am what I am, which is just how I drew it up despite my mythic stamp. Don't slip up or get gut. Why not, man? Copying that buried one drop. What it do? Dreadnought trampling nonstop. Lazard is coming for that number one spot. Scheme, scheme, plot, plot. I'm coming for that number one spot. Oh, damn. Luck sack it off the top. Too bad I'm off a Rexian dreadnought. Yes, indeed. Force of Phil's spitting fire like he's Chandra. Slapping syllabics harder than a grammar teacher's mantra. If I break bread, let's believe I'm eating hala. Lazavin your prayers like a rabbi to the father. 
Oro, Oro, Castan Oko, make some food. Too bad you forgot that I'm a mastermind too. Try and elk me and I'll slip into the shadows where they hide me. Before revealing the Phyrexian supersized me. A stitch and a ghast and an imp and a whole gack. Venge vines tripping over triggers like a chalice player, hopeless. When I'm hellbent, all those Rakdos clowns despise me. Too bad I'm disguised as their demon leader's wifey. Stupid nerds, praising Leyland of the boys' playability. Farming tickets as if Chuck E. Cheese became a charity. Gravedigger's Cajun, rest in peace. What's the difference? I've been stifling dreadnoughts since Mirage was in my fingertips. Don't slip up or get done. Why not, man? Copying that buried one drop. What it do? Dreadnought trampling nonstop. Lazav is coming for that number one spot. Scheme, scheme, plot, plot. I'm coming for that number one spot. Oh, damn. Luck sack it off the top. Too bad I'm off a Rexy and Dreadnought. Players losing, always getting so salty. Over shoulder cloaking dagger, I'm getting spicy. Flavor profiles, I got them all, take your pick. Lazav is played by players who have gigantic dicks. Whoops, got too graphic for this little children's card game. Underestimated the comment section typing. All these issues with Lazav being unplayable. Too bad those players are at the loser's table. Don't slip up or get gut. Why not, man? Copying that buried one drop. What it do? Dreadnought traveling nonstop. Lazav is coming for that number one spot. Scheme, scheme, plot, plot. I'm coming for that number one spot. Oh, damn. Luck sack it off the top. Too bad I'm off a Rexy and Dreadnought. This shit is too easy, man. Yo, Lazab, you. Lazab, not the truth, yo. What it do?